Hello and welcome to Paul Martin's Catholic Podcast. Today I'm talking about the book of Jonah, what we can learn from that book. It's a beautiful and it's a theologically rich story. And we have to ask ourselves, who was Jonah? Is Jonah a true historical story or is it a myth or a a parable like the prodigal son or something taught just to teach us a lesson? What does the scripture say? What does the testimony of history say? If you haven't read the book of Jonah or heard it on audiobook, that's okay because I am going to read the whole book as well as some parallel passages of scripture that reference this book. And we're going to look at what is the evidence and what what does this book actually teach us. The first record of Jonah comes from 2 Kings chapter 14. Verses 23 to 29 tell us about Jeroboam II. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria and reigned 41 years. He did that which was evil in the sight of Yahweh. He didn't depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of Yahweh, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was of Gath-Hether. For Yahweh saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter, for there was none shut up nor left at large, neither was there any helper for Israel. Yahweh didn't say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under the sky, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did and his might, how he warred and how he recovered Damascus and Hamath, which had belonged to Judah for Israel, aren't they written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? Jeroboam slept with his fathers, even with the kings of Israel, and Zechariah his son reigned in his place. So we're told that (coughs) Jonah the son of Amittai was a prophet in the time of Jeroboam the second. And Jeroboam the second reigned from he was co-regent from 793 to 782 BC and then he was the sole ruler of Israel from 782 to 753 BC and the scripture tells us that he did that which was evil in God's sight and in 1910 the archaeologist G.A. Reisner found 63 potsherds with inscriptions of the rule of Jeroboam II. And after Jeroboam II, we read that his son was evil. And 2 Kings chapter 
15 says his son Zechariah was also evil and was killed by Shalom who took over and was evil as well. So Jonah was prophet of Israel at a time when there was widespread apostasy. And at this time, Judah had a good king in 2 Kings chapter 15 verses 1 to 7, but he did not get rid of the widespread paganism in Judah. So the ten tribes of Israel were in a state of apostasy. Judah had a godly king, but most of his people were also pagans. So in Jonah's time, most of Israel and Judah were in a state of apostasy. A lot of people have, preachers have bashed at Jonah. One preacher called him Jonah the Mona, and all the audience laughed. But was he really self-righteous? Well, we're going to read this, the story of the book of Jonah. I'm going to read the first chapter and then talk about it, then go through each chapter. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid its fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. But Yahweh sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was likely to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the innermost parts of the ship, and he was laying down and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your gods. Maybe the gods will notice us so that we won't perish. They all said to each other, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is on us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they asked him, Tell us, please, for whose cause this evil is on us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who has made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh, because he had told them, then said they to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm to us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Take me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will be calm for you. For I know that because of me this great tempest is on you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the land. <clears throat> But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried to Yahweh and said, We beg you, Yahweh, we beg you, let us not perish for this man's life and don't lay on us innocent blood. 
for you, Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. So they took up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. Yahweh prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Was Jonah self-righteous? I don't believe he was. I believe he was simply fearful of the Ninevites. I don't think he could have been a proud, self-righteous Israelite when his own nation was in a state of apostasy. They were no better or worse than the Ninevites. But the Ninevites, they were the people of the city of Nineveh, and their nationality was the Assyrians. And around this time period, there was Ashurnasapal, the second of Assyria. He ruled from 883 to 859 BC, a bit before Jonah's time. But after one battle, this is to give you an idea of what kind of people the Assyrians were. After one battle, he had his enemy's limbs cut off. Others he had castrated. Others had eyes gouged out, ears cut off. He had adolescent boys and girls burned alive. Others were burned, impaled, or flayed. That means skinned. And he bragged about it. This was the kind of culture of Nineveh. And it's easy for us to sit and judge and snigger at someone like Jonah, but we've got to recognise if we were in his shoes, we might not have been quite so ready to jump up and, and share our faith with these people. But Jonah is a unique story. It's about a prophet who is upset about the repentance and of God's mercy, which is quite unique. And there's no lengthy oracles. It's just a, a narrative story written in prose form. So he was told, go to Nineveh. He tried to flee. And then there was a storm and Jonah slept. Then he was woken and his actions calmed the sea. Although it was through obedience that he did it. Now, it's very similar to another story in the Bible in the time of Jesus. And we read about it in Mark chapter 4. Verses 35 to 41. <clears throat> On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the multitude, they took him with them, even as he was in the boat. Other small boats were also with him. There arose a great windstorm, and the waves beat into the boat, so much that the boat was already filled. He himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and told him, Teacher, don't you care that we are dying? He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? How is it that you have no faith? 
they were greatly afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, Jesus described himself as someone greater than Jonah. He was God the Son, God incarnate. And he had an even greater power than Jonah did. But the interesting thing about Jonah is that the Gentiles repented at the preaching of Jonah. But most of the Jews rejected Jesus and did not repent at his preaching. And he was someone greater than Jonah. Jonah was disobedient, but in his obedience he calmed the sea storm. But in Jesus' case, he simply woke up and calmed the storm. Was it a whale or a fish? Well, these days we classify uh, animals differently to the way they did in the ancient world. They didn't have our classification systems, so we can't impose our modern terminology on ancient terminologies. And was Jonah literally swallowed by a whale or a big fish? Many say there's no known species that could swallow him and him still be alive. Or he would have died in the whale's belly. Well, there is the sperm whale, and the sperm whale can swallow a human. <clears throat> there are no known stories of a person going into a whale and surviving it. There was... A popular story spread in the early 20th century about a man who had survived um, 36 hours or something in a whale's belly. But investigation on the story uh, indicates that it is probably not true. <coughs> well, there's a few possibilities to that. It may have been an unknown species of fish or whale that could swallow someone and hold them in there that's now extinct. Out of every 1,000 species that have ever lived, 999 or more are extinct. But that's an argument from silence, and I wouldn't bother too much with that case. Another argument is that God may have miraculously preserved Jonah in the belly of just as he preserved the three young men in the fiery furnace that we read about in Daniel chapter 3. Or in Daniel chapter 6, we read about how God preserved Daniel in the lion's den. So there's no problem with God miraculously keeping someone alive in a whale's belly for three days and three nights. <coughs> Another possibility is that Jonah really did die in the whale's belly, but God miraculously resurrected him as he was vomited out of its belly. Uh, either of these positions is possible, but we can't prove it absolutely. And even if there was a fish species that, had, that gets discovered that could have done that, it still doesn't prove that was the one that swallowed Jonah. We just have to accept that it was probably a miracle of God. Now, was Jonah historical fact? Well, there was an historical character 
he knew, which was King Jeroboam II. And the event happened when Assyria was a world power, and at the time of Jeroboam II, Assyria was a world power. Secondly, Jesus himself treated the story of Jonah as true history, as fact. And we find that in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 41. It says, Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there will be no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up in the judgment with this generation and will condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. And we also see this again in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 11, verses 29 to 32. When the multitudes were gathering together to him, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks after a sign. No sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For even as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and will condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up in the judgment with this generation and will condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, one greater than Jonah is here. Jesus taught Jonah as being an historical character. And he wasn't just referring to the mere mention of Jonah in 2 Kings chapter 14. He was referring to the book of Jonah and the story of him being swallowed by a large fish or a whale. And he treated that as the same truth as his own death and resurrection. So if you're going to say that God cannot do miracles, like preserve someone in a fiery furnace or a whale's belly, or resurrect someone from the dead, you might as well throw the whole Bible away and be a non-believer. But Jesus compared the internment of Jonah in the whale's belly as being as true as his own uh, coming death and resurrection. So I think it's very dangerous to disbelieve in this story and to try and say that it's just a fable. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to Yahweh his God out of the fish's belly. He said, I called because of my affliction to Yahweh. He answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. You heard my voice, for you threw me into the depths. In the heart of the seas, the flood was all around me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. 
I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to the soul. The deep was around me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth barred me in forever. Yet have you brought up my life from the pit, Yahweh my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered Yahweh. My prayer came into you, into your holy temple. Those who regard lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Yahweh spoke to the fish, and it vomited out Jonah on the dry land. Verse 7, he says, you brought up my life from the pit. And in verses 8 to 10, he says that his praise was a holy sacrifice in God's temple. So it's a beautiful prayer of repentance. And if a person wants to repent of a sin, the prayer of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2 is a good uh, scripture to read for that purpose. Now we get to Jonah chap chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. The word of Yahweh came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I give you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of Yahweh. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey across. Jonah began to enter into the city, a day's journey, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God, and they proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth, and the greatest of them, even to the least of them. The news reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He made a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor animal, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let them be covered with sackcloth, both man and animal, and let them cry mightily to God. Yes, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows whether God will not turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we might not perish. God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. God repented of the evil which he had said he would do to them and he didn't do it. Well, what a shock that must have been for Jonah. He said, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Much to his shock, they all repented. And even more of a shock, God did not bring about his judgment. It tells us a lot about God's emotions and God's character. God can decree a judgment and say this is going to happen. But when people use their free will to repent 
and beg God for forgiveness, God can change his mind and relent from doing that to those people. We find a very similar story in Exodus chapter 32, where God was going to judge Israel. And Moses pleaded on, on Israel's behalf. He interceded. He said, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the sky. And all this land that I have spoken of, I will give it to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. Yahweh repented of the evil which he said he would do to his people. So God relented or repented, uh, which just means he changed his mind. Except in the case of Jonah, Jonah did not intercede for them. And the Ninevites were not God's chosen people, and yet they still got forgiveness. And what's so special about this? Well, a group of Gentiles repented and turned to the true God, and God relented even without the prophet's intercession. So it's a very beautiful and remarkable story. But Jonah didn't quite see it that way. Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to Yahweh and said, Please, Yahweh, wasn't this what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore I hurried to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and you repent of the evil. Therefore now, Yahweh, take, I beg you, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Yahweh said, Is it right for you to be so angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made himself a booth and sat under it in the shade until he might see what would become of the city. Yahweh God prepared a vine and made it to come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the vine. But God prepared a worm at dawn the next day, and it chewed on the vine, so that it withered. It happened when the sun arose that God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head, so that he fainted and requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the vine? He said, I am right to be angry, even to death. Yahweh said, You have been concerned for the vine, for which you have not laboured, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Shouldn't I be concerned for Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who can't discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? It ends with a question that's not answered. 
But Jonah was the eyewitness. Jonah was the one who went there. And I think it's safe to assume that it was Jonah who wrote the book of Jonah. And therefore, if he had written this book, it would be because he did turn from his anger. And we also see God's relationship with animals. He spoke to the large fish or whale and it spat him out. He also prepared a worm to eat through the plant. And he closes by saying, there's 120,000 people in this city. Shouldn't I care about them as well as many cattle? So God cares about the animals. He doesn't have the same relationship with humans that he does with animals, but he nevertheless does have a relationship with animals. But that's only a tiny little side note, and it's not really the main point of the story. So Jonah went out to the east side of the city, and he became quite angry at their repentance. I did wonder, what does it mean by the east side of the city? Is that just merely a tiny little description, or is it written there for a purpose? It has some parallels to Cain, the brother of Abel, who went east after his exile. And this story does have some similarities to Jonah chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, from verse 1. The man, that's Adam, knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Cain and said, I have gotten a man with Yahweh's help. Again, she gave birth to Cain's brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. As time passed, it happened that Cain brought an offering to Yahweh from the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought some of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat of it. Yahweh respected Abel and his offering, but he didn't respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and the expression on his face fell. Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has the expression of your face fallen? If you do well, will it not be lifted up? If you don't do well, sin crouches at the door. Its desire is for you and you are to rule over it. Cain said to Abel, his brother, let's go into the field. It happened when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Yahweh said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Yahweh said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now you are cursed because of the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. From now on, when you till the ground, it won't yield its strength to you. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. Cain said to Yahweh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me out this day from the surface of the ground. I will be hidden from your face and I will be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. It will happen that whoever finds me will kill me. Yahweh said to him, 
Therefore, whoever slays Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. Yahweh appointed a sign for Cain, lest any finding him should strike him. Cain went out from Yahweh's presence and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. It's got some similarities in Jonah. Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord, heading west to Tarshish. And when he has this angry uh, fit and argues with the Lord in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah is asked by God, why are you angry? And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, Jesus said that hating your brother is a form of murder. It's murder in your hatred. And that's why God said both to Cain and to Jonah, why are you angry? And Jesus picked up in this theme in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, on the parable of the prodigal son. So here's what Jesus said. He said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his brother, Father, give me my share of your property. He divided his living to them. Not many days after the younger son gathered all of this together and took his journey into a far country. There he wasted his property with riotous living. When he had spent all of it, there arose a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. He went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He wanted to fill his belly with the husks that the pigs ate, but no one gave him any. But when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I'm dying with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will tell him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. As he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants to him and asked what was going on. He said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and begged him. But he answered his father, Behold, these many years I served you and I never disobeyed a commandment of yours and you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this your son came, 
who has devoured your living with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But it was appropriate to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so, like the story of Jonah, the older brother was angry at the repentance of the younger brother. And the Ninevites were like the prodigal son. They didn't go presuming, I'm going to repent and I'm going to have a big party for me and God's going to rejoice. They said, who knows if God will relent from his judgment. And God did show mercy to Nineveh. And the prodigal son thought, well, I'm just going to go to my dad. I'm going to say, I'm not worthy to be your son. Have me in as a hired hand. But instead the father ran out to see him. There were some Christians who once shared this story with some Arab Muslims. And the Arab Muslims were shocked at the story of the prodigal son because here was the patriarchal father who ran out to see his son. And that was considered very undignified behaviour, but it was showing the great love he had for his son. And what also shocked them was a son who just went and asked his father for his, for his inheritance. It was almost his way of saying... I wish you were dead soon so I could live off your inheritance. And yet it shows the mercy of God. And both of these stories, the older brother and Jonah is angry, and both of these stories end with a question. Shouldn't I be concerned about Nineveh? Shouldn't I rejoice on this our son who was dead but now he's alive again? And so I believe Jesus was directly drawing from the story of Jonah. One greater than Jonah was asking that same question. And incidentally, it doesn't say, and the older brother nodded and sheepishly and agreed with his dad and walked in and gave his little brother a big hug. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, and Jonah nodded and, all right, God, you're right. It ends just with that question. And I think that that's the whole point. It's written in such a way that it makes you the reader who might be struggling with forgiveness, who might be feeling self-righteous like the older brother was, to say the same thing, to become indignant at someone else's repentance, shouldn't we celebrate? And this is what the heart of God the Father is like. God isn't, oh, you've repented, I wanted to destroy you. No, no, it's, it's like all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. And I think that's the main point of this beautiful story. So in summary, the book of Jonah shows us the heart of God's love for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. It's a warning against being self-righteous and a warning against not rejoicing at another person's repentance. Thank you for listening. God bless.